ever had your picture taken with Santa? Yeah, I did. I think I did. Where did you get your picture taken with Santa at? At the mall. Is that where Santa lives? Yes. No, he lives at the North Pole. I'm going, I'm going at the mall to take pictures at Santa. You realize the mall Santa's are just fake? I think so. And how does it get to the North Pole anyway? With his reindeers? Plus, Santa's not even real, guys. You must have been took pictures with fake Santas. I didn't. When you get your pictures taken, what do they ask you to do for the camera? Smile. Can I see your best smiles? Do you know why we say cheese? Yeah. Cheesy. Uh, because, uh, then you wouldn't know that you're ready. Oh, plus to have a baby at my home. What? Oh, do you stop children? Do you know what Instagram is? Yeah. What is it? A fruit. A fruit? A fruit. A a flute? How do you take the perfect Christmas picture? You smile with a fake Santa Claus wearing a costume. You smile with a fake Santa Claus wearing a costume? Uh, yeah, a Santa Claus guy. And you smile with Santa Claus smile. If you could take a picture with anyone in the world, who would you take it with? Um, my dad and parents. Shoes. Shoes? Uh-huh. Like you're wearing the shoes or you're taking a picture next to shoes? Wearing it. You're wearing the shoes? Mm -hmm. So then that's just a picture of you. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Right. Our children are so wonderful, so fun. Hey, my name's Mike. I am one of the pastors on the team, and I want to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout. You will see we are continuing through a series. Uh, we started the conversation last week. We're going to continue the conversation through Christmas Eve when our services are at 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 11 p.m. And so really excited about this. We want to invite you to join us, invite your friends, your family members to join us. It's just going to be a great celebration of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, and very, very excited about that. If, if you weren't with us last week, or even if you were, last week what we talked about was the fact that there are these pressures that we experience as we come to the holiday season. And we might always experience these kind of pressures, but they seem to be especially tense around Christmas time. And last week we talked about how there's this pressure that we feel to come up with the perfect holiday meal. And so there's all this perfection in our planning and the perfection in our presentation and, and our, we just want this per perfect experience. And so we try to control all of the circumstances. And we talked about how there's actually a biblical example of what what that's all about. There's a story where Martha is hosting Jesus and his disciples in her home, and, and she's experiencing all of the same tension and all of this pressure. And what Jesus ends up saying to Martha, it's just so beautiful, 
He says to her, few things are needed and only one is required. And of course, what he's referring to in that requirement is just that, that we would invite Jesus into the moment, that, that we would recognize that every moment is an opportunity to spend with Jesus. Well, today we're going to be talking about another pressure because there are more pressures that we experience other than just, you know, making the perfect holiday meal. And today we're talking about snapping the perfect family portrait. And, and there's a pressure that comes with snapping the perfect portrait. And, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with these things. So I'm not down on these things. We just want to unpack why there's so much pressure. In fact, I want you to know if, if we were down on pictures, we wouldn't create photo opportunities in our hallway, right? I've seen many of you already taken, you know, pictures by the birch uh, trees out there. And I even saw some adults climbing in the gingerbread house down in Kidtown, taking photos down there. So you know, that's fine. We recognize that the holiday season, Christmas time, it's a great time to, to capture photos. We value family photos. Nothing wrong with that. But I, I want you to see that there is an, a, a dark underbelly to the pressure that we feel. I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever been in this experience where right in the moment of taking the family portrait, right in the moment where you're trying to orchestrate this perfect picture experience, you want to display how wonderful your family is, how loving your family is, and in that literal moment, you feel like killing your family members. Anybody ever have that? There's, there's, this, there's this challenge, right? And my buddy Lee was kind enough to share with me uh, an experience that he had. He was on vacation with his family, and he thought that, that this was a great opportunity. They were in Australia to, to take the perfect family portrait. So they organized a photographer, and they organized this perfect setting. And then, of course, what's going on behind the scenes, uh, he gave us a, a couple of visuals. Uh, the bad lighting with eyes closed picture, the look away picture, the inevitable mid-session tantrum with at least one child picture. While mom was worried about the wind ruining the hair, kids egging one another on, fake smiles throughout, Lee is ready to throw his family into the water. And then finally, of course, they have the final picture, which looks perfect, and nobody's the wiser about all the pain in the process. I wonder, if, have you ever sort of wondered at the why we have such a pressure to snap the perfect portrait at Christmas? Just let that linger for a moment, that question, because we really do want to get into it and start digging into the question, what's the pressure all about? And, and there is a tension within us. We feel it. We feel this tension uh, between capturing the moment and just living the moment. And so often we work so hard to capture the moment that we end up missing the moments that we are given. And there's a lot of external forces that put pressure on us as well. For example, our commercials put pressure on us for this. In fact, there's a whole advertising campaign out there. I don't know who does it, but the tagline is, win the holidays. And if you can win the holidays, that must mean you can lose the holidays. And none of us want to do that. Not only that, but, but the songs that we sing at Christmas, they also tend to put pressure on us. For example, there's a song, it's the most 
wonderful time of the year. That title itself puts pressure on us. And then in that song, there's this line, we will tell of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Talk about pressure. In other words, as a parent, this Christmas, my kids are gonna be talking about forever. So I gotta make it perfect. And in order for me to make it perfect, I've gotta make sure that I've got silver bells and corn for popping and chestnuts roasting by the open fire and glistening treetops with candy canes and silver lanes aglow. And all of that's got to happen and be captured in snapshots, Instagrams, selfies, right? I gotta capture all of this so that I don't lose the holidays. And there's all of this pressure. And it's it's not just that, right? It's not that we just focus on capturing the moment so much that we're missing the moment that we're living in. But the other problem with capturing the perfect portrait is that it tends to whitewash the actual relationships that we have and the actual experiences that we're enjoying together. I'll give you just an example of this. We actually sang this song a few moments ago. It's the song Away in a Manger. I want you to see the words here. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Now, friends, that is a sepia-toned, whitewashed image, is it not? And, 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 and I don't know what you think of or what you grew up thinking when you sang the song. What I thought of was this beautiful scene with heavenly light all around and a flutist in the background and all of the animals swaying time to the music like, like the campfire scene in Three Amigos. That's what I pictured, and, 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 and it's so washed in nostalgia and poetry. It just misses the moment, and it's a great song, so I'm not telling you you shouldn't sing it, but the cattle are lowing. What's a low? I always assumed that it was a, a, a melodious song that spiritual cattle sang, but it's not. It's just moo. That's all it is. And then the, the, the line, I love thee, Lord Jesus, stay by my cradle. What toddler in a cradle is speaking the king's English? According to my parents, I was. But again, that's a whitewashed memory, I'm sure. And I just want you to see all of this, that, that I'm sure the Lord Jesus would have had a normal infant response to being awakened by cow noise lowing or otherwise. Now maybe he was silent when he was startled from his sleep by the barnyard noises, but even if he squalled, he's still the Lord Jesus. His swaddling clothes had to be changed just like any other baby. I'm sure Mary wiped holy spit up off her shoulder from time to time. You see, Jesus is deity in diapers. He is fully God and he's fully human. And I just want you to see that that real picture is way more impressive than the poetic whitewashed version we tend to cling to. 
So let's jump right into the scripture. Let's, let's take a look at a passage here. This is in Luke. It's in uh, chapter two, verses one through seven. It's on your notes. It'll be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, please open up and you can follow along there. It says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus, he's in charge of it all. He's sitting on you know, his throne in Rome. He's the emperor. He makes this decree. Everyone does it. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, I just want you to see, this was not a suggestion that everyone goes to their own town to register. This is a command. And their own town would be sort of where they hailed from, where their line is from. So, verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay. So I wonder, have you ever imagined, sort of placed yourself into this passage have you ever imagined what it would be like to be Mary and Joseph in this season? Imagine that suddenly you're required to take a road trip by your government. You don't have a choice in the matter. And, and you haven't budgeted for this road trip. This is not a vacation you were planning on, but you're forced to take it. And you're already poor. So this road trip, this is not going to be in style. This is going to be roughing it. And, and, and it was 90, 100 miles away from where they were. And, and so this it was a road trip they were largely taking on foot and sandals. Maybe they had a cart that Mary could ride in from time to time. Maybe a donkey to help a little bit with the baggage. But, but it was tough for them to go there. And then when they get there, all the hotels are booked solid. So they end up having to stay in a cave that's been converted to a stable for animals, shepherds are using this, this cave. It's, it's, it's birth in a barn, what we're seeing. And while they're there, the time comes for Mary to have her baby. Okay, think about that process, the process of childbirth. It's painful. It's difficult. It, there's, there's some time that takes place, and, and it's traumatic, right? And, and, and you could just imagine that it's not sanitary, and it's, it's smelly, the conditions that they're in. And, and, and this is the real picture of the arrival of Jesus. And then he comes, and Joseph has to cut the umbilical cord, and he's like, I don't know how to do any of this. I'm a carpenter. I'm not a doctor. And, and yet, here's the baby, so he cuts the cord, probably with a skill saw in that moment, and... And, and I want you to see that there were tears in this scenario and that, that, that Jesus was, was crying and Mary was crying and Joseph probably as well crying. And, and yet in the midst of that messy reality, it wasn't perfect or pain-free, but it's beautiful and it's miraculous and it's far more powerful and far more impressive to recognize that the Prince of Peace arrives like this. That the God of the universe chooses this humble entry point into time and history and space for the purpose of our salvation. God moves into the neighborhood. 
See, this is called by theologians the incarnation. And this is what is so powerful about the miracle of the arrival of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it like this. The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. It was the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing that the whole story has been about. Friends, this is a miracle that passes human comprehension. The creator enters into his creation. The author enters into the novel that he is penning. The the, the eternal one outside of time and space confines himself and enters into time and space for the salvation of all the people. C.S. Lewis again, he comes down, speaking of Jesus, he comes down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, down into the womb, down to the very roots of the nature he has created, but he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. I want you to meditate for a moment on the mystery of this and on the size and the scope and all of the implications that come from this miracle. And then I want you to try to answer this question, what are you really hoping for this Christmas? What what does your heart really yearn for at Christmas time? You see, the answer to that question has something to do with why we feel such pressure to snap the perfect portrait. What we're really hoping for, that's what creates the tension for us to capture the moment instead of just living in it. And the truth of the matter is, for so many of us, we really hope for peace. We hope for lasting peace. We hope for peace in our relationships. We hope for peace in our world. We know it's not lasting peace all around us. And so what we want to do is capture peace in an instant. And our deep prayer is that if we could capture a moment where siblings are holding hands and not just taking jabs at one another, if we could capture a moment where where mom and dad, husband and wife are actually embracing one another and not disconnected like they've been all year long. We're, we're, We're hoping that in a moment we could take a picture of peace and then we could hold it up and go, see, look, there, there it is, right there, that's peace. And I know it's not lasting, but at least it happened in an instant. And meanwhile, Jesus is inviting us, the Prince of Peace, the one who brings everlasting peace, the one who brings peace that passes our understanding. Jesus is inviting us to experience his peace, to understand his presence in the moment. And and, and recognizing the messiness of our relationships, understanding the messiness of our world, Jesus invites us to experience right in the midst of it His perfect peace. If you're filling in the blanks, I want you to wrestle with this, and I I pray that it sort of haunts you in a loving manner all week long. And, And this is the truth that we're trying to get after. Above capturing the moment is living the moment. Above capturing the moment is living the moment. And I want to give you some practical steps 
for which you can experience this reality in this holiday season. I want to give you some practices for surviving and even thriving with your loved ones, your family, your friends this Christmas. These are, these are, uh, these are steps you can take when you're feeling emotionally tense, when you're feeling stressed out, when the family game night is turning argumentative, uh, when you realize that you have a house full of guests that are all Arizona Cardinals fans. Uh, these will be beautiful steps for you. Now, I'll just give you the easiest step. This is not a step I'm recommending, but the very easiest step for peace in your home is to replace your family members with mannequins and then you just set them up on different, you know, uh, pictures. And, and then you got the perfect picture and the no-stress family. And you're also really destined for the loony bin. Uh, that, that's not what I recommend. I, I, I recommend that you would employ these five uh, or six things as a, a matter of practice. And that you would experience the profound implications of allowing yourself to be present and to live in the moment. And... And I'm really talking about being emotionally grounded and taking a moment to, to really center yourself. And, and there's a reason. Let me just give you one example of why this is so powerful for you. I don't want you to raise your hand. I really don't want you to raise your hand on this. But how many of you have ever, if you're married, how many of you have ever with your spouse had an incredibly rough fight? You've had this argument and it was tense and it got more and more tense and hotter and hotter. And, and, and you were desperate to win and your spouse desperate to win. And you just kept going at it, hammer and tongs. And two days later, you're still bothered by it, but you can't remember what it was you were fighting about. See, th this happens. It happens between spouses. It happens with, between parents and kiddos. It happens in friendships. It, it happens. And, and what is happening, the downside of not being emotionally grounded is this. We get caught up in this other thing called winning the, the, the fight. And we forget that we're losing the battle. Right? We're, we're, we're trying to win this argument and we're losing the moment. We're damaging the relationship. And so there's a far better way to go. There's a, it has powerful implications for all of our relationships. So let me just give you these steps. These are practices to live in the moment this season. The first here is just to start by taking a deep breath. Breathe deeply. Breathe deeply. And Overlake, I want to encourage you right now. Would you just take an inhale through your nose? Let's do this. Now exhale through your mouth. I want to thank you for brushing your teeth this morning. <laughs> the truth is when you take a moment to do this, when you just take a deep breath, you breathe in, you breathe out. Number one, you know you're doing what God has designed you to do. Number two, you're flooding your body with oxygen and, and, and it just changes, right? The demeanor, it just changes something internally, right? There's all sorts of beautiful chemical reactions that are happening because you flooded your body with oxygen. So it's good to just begin with a deep breath. The second thing is while you take this deep breath, observe your emotional state. Observe what's going on on the inside of you. You just need to track sort of where your thoughts are pinging around, where, where your emotions are, are bouncing around inside of you. This is not a moment where you're focused on the other person. You're not, you're not thinking about them, what they are doing, what they have said, how they're bothering you. It's, it's a matter for you to breathe deeply and then just pay attention to what's happening inside of you. 
brings me to the third thing, which is then you pause for perspective. Pause for perspective. We call this getting to the 30,000 foot level so that you can view this scenario. You get some time, you get, you get a little bit of distance from, from just your intensity of emotion in this moment, and so you can have clarity. And it might help for you to think about viewing this moment through the filter of eternity. You might want to write that down. I know this has been helpful for some. Viewing this situation, whatever it is, through the filter of eternity. In other words, imagine yourself, you're in heaven with Jesus, and, and then you begin to talk about this scenario. And I, I'm not saying that it will instantly just dismiss what you're bothered about. I, I'm not saying that it'll minimize or trivialize the stuff that you're dealing with. Uh, sometimes it will, and you'll recognize that the, this situation, it's really not worth getting upset about. But other times, it'll, it'll highlight something like, no, this is of value. This is of importance to deal with. Recently, I had an opportunity to do this, and it was it's super clear in my mind. It was actually in August, and I had a speaking engagement on a Sunday night at a church in San Dimas. After I finished speaking at that church, I drove to Malibu, California, where I spent the night with some of my friends. And then in the morning, I was needing to get to LAX because I had to catch a plane up to San Jose. I was speaking that evening at Mount Hermon Camp. And so that travel kind of arrangement was going on. And my flight was at 1 o'clock, so I figured I'd be there at 11. But the traffic in Los Angeles was just a little bit more than I had anticipated. And when I get to the car rental return, I drop the car. It's miles from the airport. I stuff myself onto the shuttle, which is already overcrowded, but we still stop every 15 feet to pack more sardines into this thing. And I'm realizing the time is ticking away. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to miss my flight. And in that moment, I just recognized I was incredibly stressed. My back was just dripping sweat. That was an indication for me. And I started to pay attention to what was going on in my head. What was, what was the mental chatter that was happening? And friends, it was horrific. Do you realize we talk to ourselves far worse than we would ever talk to anybody else? And so I am running myself down. It kind of starts like this. Idiot. Right? That, that's the first one. Idiot. I can't believe that you are going to miss this plane. You should have known better. You're from Southern California. You know about the traffic. Why didn't you give yourself three hours instead of two? You know, why didn't you anticipate this? You are an idiot. And it just kept going from there. I mean, that was the kindest thing I was saying. It just kept getting worse. Like, Mike, you're a communicator. You're a preacher. What, what do you have to say to those people at Mount Hermon if you can't even catch a plane? And by the way, if you can't catch this plane, if you don't make it up to Mount Hermon, they are never going to hire you again to come and to speak to their camp. And if word gets out that you blew Mount Hermon off because you couldn't catch a plane, you know what happens to communicators who can't make it to their gigs? They end up living in a van down by the river. <laughs> and it just kept going. And, and, and so I, I did what I just have instructed you to do. I just took them all. I breathed, took a deep breath. And then I just started kind of paying attention to what was going on inside me. And then I viewed it through the filter of eternity. And I just imagined that I was with the Lord Jesus in heaven, surrounded by infinite glory and beauty, all manner of love. I'm standing in the presence of love incarnate. All these relationships that are now perfected and glorified with a whole universe to explore. And in that moment, Jesus comes to me and he says, 
So Mike, do you want to talk about missing that plane to Mount Hermon? I, I, no, Lord, I'm good. Really, Mike? Because you seem pretty agitated when it happened. And just want to kind of unpack that. Did it ruin your life? And it just it threw everything off? And I can't even remember, Lord. I just, I, I don't want to, I don't need to talk about it, you know. And just kind of picturing that reality, it, it, it just, it eased everything up. It sort of released the tension valve. And I was able to just kind of relax and, and, and begin to enjoy the moment and the process. And ironically enough, I caught my plane. And it ended up being a sermon illustration for you tonight. <laughs> All right. So that, that's the, the kind of thing that, that we do is just, oh, take a deep breath. Observe what's going on in the inside. Pause for perspective, right? Just take a moment. And then practice some self-compassion. Practice some self-compassion. You know, often this is a moment for us to recognize maybe we haven't responded with our best selves. Maybe in a, a tense moment, in a, in a family dysfunctional moment, we responded out of our sense of impatience. We were cranky. We, we, we snapped at someone. We ran somebody down. We, maybe there was, a, there was something that happened in that moment, and, and we know that we were the ones who did it. And so I'm not saying that you just gloss over those things. I'm not saying that we don't recognize that and confess it. No, I really want you to be honest with yourself in that moment. But the self-compassion piece comes right next to it. So you're honest with yourself. Yeah, I, I blew it in that moment. Self-compassion says that does not represent who I am. That, that poor response does not represent my best self. And so if you need to make something right with, it, with a friend or a family member, that's the moment that you do it. But recognize that you can do it with, with care for your own heart. You can do it with grace for yourself. Jesus wants you to offer grace to others, but he also wants you to offer it to yourself. So you act with a moment of self-compassion. And I just want you to remember, and you might want to write this down, Remember and remind yourself, it could always be worse, right? It could always be worse. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the picture, you know, that blows up or the meal that blows up, the tradition that doesn't work, it could always be worse. You could have responded more poorly. The, the, the explosion could have been greater. The, like, there, it could always be worse. And certainly this is true when it comes to our family portraits, for example, your family portrait is certainly better than the honey bucket family portrait, right? Like that. Your family portrait is certainly better than the very merry doggies portrait. And it's absolutely better than the unfortunate swinging baby picture, right? I know. That's what I'm saying. Yours is not that bad. So have some compassion for yourself. And that brings us to our last truth here. Oh, come on, stay with me, stay with me. Stay with me. That last service, there were some people that got offended at that. And I'm like, oh, really? I was like. No words. Yeah, breathe in. That's right. I get, I get it. But hey, breathe in. Pause for perspective. All right. Brings us to our last truth, which is this, that, that we get to choose to be present. We choose to be present. Right? We, we, it's a choice. And that's why the verb is to choose. We, we get to choose 
to actually live the moments of our lives. We get to choose to actually enjoy the imperfections of our family or our relationships. We, we get to choose to act mindfully in the moment that we interact with one another with a great amount of generosity of spirit. We interact with one another with the same compassion that we offer ourselves, the same compassion that Jesus offers us. But it's a choice. We, we get to choose to be present in our moments. The scripture tells us what the Holy Spirit produces in us. God's spirit living in our lives produces some things. And in Galatians 5.22, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You take a look at that verse and you recognize the Bible calls this fruit. And so God's spirit produces the fruit of love and the fruit of joy and the fruit of peace, and it's all mixed together and baked up and served as a fruit cake. The only kind of fruit cake that anybody actually wants, okay? It's this, it's, it's the fruit that's developed in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And, and I just, I want you to see this, that, that this is how we can live present. This is how we can be centered emotionally. This is how we can offer the best of ourselves to our friends and family again and again and again. It's, it's not by the things that we can produce in our own selves, by our own strength, with the perfect picture, with you know, the, the perfect tradition, with the perfect meal, but it's what, what God's spirit produces in us. And this brings me to the last challenge, and, I, and, and this verse I'm going to share with you, it's absolutely one of my favorite verses in all scripture. It's Romans 8, 6. And it says, letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And so what my challenge to you is, Overlake, my, my challenge, friends, is that we would invite God's spirit to lead our thinking. We would invite God's spirit to take over our thought process. That, that we would invite the spirit of God to come and dwell so richly within us that his fruit is spilling out of our lives. And that's the experience that we get to enjoy with our family and friends this Christmas. I want to turn this whole thing back to the person of Jesus as I close. Friends, Jesus was the clearest example of someone who was fully present in the moment. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books in the New Testament, the stories of his life and ministry, you will see that he was incredibly present in all of his moments. That he looked people in the eye when he spoke with them. That he heard from them. He listened well. And not just to the words that they said, but to the cry of their hearts. Jesus was present. Do you realize you read through the Gospels, you don't even have one example of Jesus ever taking a selfie. Just saying, hold on, let me capture this, you know, and snapping a picture. And yet he was so present in the moment that we are still talking about those moments 2,000 years later. He was, he was so present. He, he lived the moment instead of capturing the moment, and because he lived the moment so well, they were captured for all time. And I, I just want you to see that he was able to not only see people and hear people, he valued them. He honored them. By his presence, they were healed. They were changed. 
And I want you to see the invitation that we have with our friends and family this season, that we don't just rush through it, but that we're present in it. Let's not try to capture the moment because we want to pretend that it was perfect. Meanwhile, we're miles and miles away from this moment. No, no, let's be as invested as Jesus. Let's care for people well. Let's honor them. Let's see them and hear them well. I found this great quote from Maya Angelou. She writes, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. You know, this Christmas, every holiday season, but this Christmas especially, the details that we're trying to go after, the traditions we're trying to pull off, just every ingredient on our holiday, you know, meal preparation shopping list. I want you to see that the details, your family members and friends, they're, they're not going to remember. The specifics are just going to fade away and, and they'll be forgotten. But people will always remember how you make them feel. How you make them feel, how you bring peace into that moment is to be present, is to truly live the moment. Let's release the capturing the moment pressure and let's live these moments with our friends and family. Of course, Jesus is the one who shows us the way. So why don't we ask him for his help right now? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? And Lord Jesus, we do wanna thank you for how you have showed us the way to live present. You've showed us the way to, to care and, and to receive care from you. And right now, Lord Jesus, what I want to do with your help is, is I, I want us to be able to employ these truths. So in this moment, what we do is we just inhale deeply. We take a deep breath. We want to observe what's going on in our thoughts about this holiday season, our thoughts about our friends and family members. We want to pause for perspective and we want to ask that you would inform our perspective. That you'd be the one who shows us what things we need to release and what things we need to value. And Jesus, we ask that you'd allow us to operate with a measure of compassion. Not only compassion for our own selves, but compassion for, for those in our lives. Most importantly, Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit to show us what it means for us to be present for us to live the moments that you've given us, that we would be able to enjoy the relationships that you have brought into our lives. We wanna honor you, we wanna serve you well by being present in the moments that you've given us for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen.